0: Pastor Mick um, said we've got a combined night coming up here, right here in this auditorium on Friday night and I just wanted to welcome a few people who are just so integral to making that happen. We've got youth pastors from Lane Cove and Penrith and Burwood and Carlingsford. I don't know whether they're here yet but some of them are like Ben McLeod up the front here from Lane Cove. So I just want to make you guys feel welcome. We're meeting after the service to you know, to plan it all and work it all out, it's going to be an incredible night. Um, I also want to welcome my parents who are here for the first time together. and yeah. My uncle George up the back there, sitting next to my brother Danny. And um, yeah, that's right, it's him. I know you were thinking you're going to turn around and see an old grey-haired man, but it's awkward when you're Lebanese and your uncle's the same age as you. You know, it's weird. But it happens, it happens. Hey, um, so we're in a series. And it's called These Remain. Uh, Last week it was faith, this week it's hope, and next week it's love. And uh, that's in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 13. And tonight, hope. Hope. Wow, what a word. Something we so need. You know, Rick Warren says, He talks about how essential it is to us. He says, you can live for days, you can live for weeks without food. And you can live for weeks, or sorry, you can live for days without water. You can live for a few minutes without air, but you cannot live without hope. Isn't that true? And I can't think of a more timely time to be sharing a message like this. Our world needs hope. Our world is hurting, it's broken, it's a hurting place and life hurts and people need hope, people need hope and I'm excited about this Friday night because we get to share a message of hope and that's what everyone needs to hear, hope and this is where people find hope, in this place, in this book, in the person of Jesus, that's where hope lies and tonight I want to talk about how Jesus can be the foundation of our hope. You know, it's funny, we use the, hope, the word hope, we throw it around, you know, I've kind of been conscious of that lately, and I've started to get a bit annoyed with myself when I send someone a message, and rather than saying, how are you, I say, hope you're well, <laughs> now I'll tell you what I need, and we throw it around like, I hope you're well, and what about this one? Hope you have a good week. You know? um, Someone who's gone through some really tough stuff and you're sitting there thinking, what can I say? How how do I respond to this? You know, maybe they're really sick or they're going through something tough and we say, well, I hope it all works out. (laughs) And there's that kind of hope, but tonight I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about a hope that isn't fluffy like that and just floats off and, you know, just takes up some space and pushes out some words, but a hope that's a foundation that we can stand on. You know, the Bible says that this hope is an anchor for our souls, and that's the hope I want to talk about tonight, a hope that penetrates the very depths of our situation and our circumstances and existence and stands there and says, no matter what, I'm anchored here and things are going to work out. That's the hope I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about blind optimism. Some people mistaken hope for blind optimism. That, you know, close your eyes and pretend that everything is going to be all right. It's like this guy who fell off a 20-story building and he's falling and halfway down someone says, How are you doing? And he said, So far, so Good. We're not talking about blind, pie-in-the-sky hope that I hope it all works out, and uh, no matter what it looks like, you know, I'm just going to ignore the facts, and I'm I'm just going to be blindly optimistic. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. There's a guy called Sam Johnson, and I was reading his book recently, and he examined the lives of a number of people, and his book is called The Hope Quotient. It's an incredible book. You should read it. And he examines the lives of some people and he says, these people, they had one common thread. They had one common foundation. There was one thing you could find as the foundation of their life. And he says this about him, about these people. He says, lock him in a prison cell, beat him and shipwreck him, and you have the Apostle Paul. Deafen him, and you have Beethoven. Raise him in absolute poverty, and you have an Abraham Lincoln. Burn him so severely that the doctors say he'll never walk again, and you have a Glenn Cunningham, the man who set the world's one mile record in 1934. Call him a slow learner, label him retarded, write him off as uneducatable, and you have and Albert Einstein, and these people who everything was against them, the odds were against them, but somehow they found a foundation of hope, and they said, "No matter what, I'm pushing through. No matter what, I'm getting through this. No matter what, I'm floating to the surface. I'm not going to sink into despair and hopelessness." The scripture I'm uh, reading from tonight is in Luke chapter twenty-four. And it's going to be a bit of a journey, so who's ready for this? All right, good. So turn with me Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 21. Now, just a bit of background to this. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. People have gone down to the tomb on the third day. The stones rolled away, and the angels appear to them and say, He's risen. Then, that same day, two of Jesus' followers, walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written all over their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, he said, you've got to be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard of the things that have happened in the last few days. Jesus says, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man in Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped he was the Messiah, but it doesn't look like it's the case anymore and we're out of here. We've waited around for three days, and some people are saying crazy things like he's risen, but we're out of here. We're heading to Emmaus. This is ridiculous. But we had hoped he was the one. And now we're in despair. We've got sadness written all over our faces, and we've just got to get out of here. We've got to leave. In 1998, family moved to Lebanon. They lived there for a year for an educational experience. It was awesome. And uh, we made a lot of friends, went to an American school there, um, me, and my brothers, and I was 15 at the time, and it was great, it was a great experience, and um, we made great friends, and um, we'd been to an all-boys school before then, so it was great to be in a class where there were girls, like that was incredible for us. But we made friends with this one girl, and her name was Talene, and we hung out with her all the time, and she became one of our best friends. And after a year there, you know, we were so sad, we had to say goodbye and just return to Australia. But we left planning and hoping that we'd be back there to spend more time with each other because we developed such a great friendship. And a couple of years later, we decided, you know what, we're going to talk to her and let her know we're, we're coming. And we're not going to tell her exactly when, but we want to just suss it out with her and see if it's going to be okay if we stayed with her and spent some time there with her we just wanted to go back and hang we like two weeks off in the holidays we're heading to lebanon and we got there uh, a couple of days before we arrived we tried calling we thought oh, you know what let's just give her a buzz and maybe let her know that we're coming but the phone was just ringing out her phone was ringing out this was before facebook and you know mobile phones and text messages far out of old. And anyway, we're like, well, we don't know what's going on. We can't make contact, but we're going to go there and we're going to surprise her. So we arrive and our cousins pick us up and they take us to their place. And the first thing we do is, well, let's try Tarlene again. Let's try calling her again because it wasn't working before we left. Maybe it's working now. And, you know, we're ringing and, and, and it's ringing out again. It's a dial tone. It's a busy tone. We can't get through. And one of our cousins just comes up, takes the phone off our hands, and hangs it up, and says, "We got to tell you something. Um, It's pretty bad. Talene died a few days ago." And we're like, "What?" And we're like, "Yeah, she was sitting. uh, She was at her grandfather's house. He was cleaning his gun. The phone rang. Grandfather went to answer the phone. Put the gun down." Her little nephew picked up that gun, shot her right in the artery as she was on the couch flicking through photos with her mum. We had hoped to see her. We had hoped to stay with her. We had hoped to have a good time over there. But in a moment, we went from hopefulness to hopelessness and despair, and discouragement, and confusion. And it was an awful, awful time. What about your? We had hoped. The disciples had theirs. I've had mine. What about yours? I'm not talking about petty stuff like, you know, we'd hoped to go for Thai, but we went for Indian. Or, you know, we'd hoped for a sunny day today, but it rained but I'm talking about life-shaking, faith-rattling circumstances. We had hope for a great marriage, but the honeymoon's over and it looks like we're going to divorce. We'd hoped for a child and we've tried everything from sitting upside down to IVF and nothing has come. We've hoped for the cancer to be cured, and I was in remission for a few years, but the results are in, and it's back, and it's more aggressive than ever. We had hoped for a visa to stay in this amazing country, and it looks like it's an, only a matter of time before we're deported. We'd hope to be out of debt by now, but... The penalty notices, the, the default notices, the eviction notices, they're just coming in. We'd hoped that our son had would have returned by now. We likened him to the prodigal son, but he, as yet, he still hasn't returned. I'd hoped to be in a relationship by now. And I've tried everything from Tinder to eHarmony to going on Dates with people I'd never go out with, but I'm still single. But we'd hoped for a job. And I put resumes in places I was sure would call me back. And you know how many calls I got back. Zero. What's left when our hope disappears? What rushes in its place? There's discouragement. there's despair those disciples the Bible says they were saddened they were disappointed when Danny and I heard of Pauline, we were in despair we were completely discouraged Howard Hendricks says discouragement and despair is the anesthetic that the devil uses on a person just before he carves When people lose hope they lose the ability to dream for the future. When people lose hope despair replaces joy. When people lose hope fear replaces faith. When people lose hope anxiety replaces faith. Tomorrow's dreams are replaced with nightmares and it's an absolutely lousy way to live. Who agrees here tonight? And the other thing about Discouragement and despair is that they always precede destruction. Discouragement and despair and hopelessness always precede destruction. No person has ever said, I'm so encouraged by my marriage, I've decided to leave. No one's ever said, I'm so encouraged by my grades at school, I've decided to drop out. No one's ever said, I'm so encouraged, By the church I'm at, I've decided to leave and go to another one. No one says, I'm so encouraged by what my faith means to me, I've decided to take up drugs and alcohol. When discouragement is present, storm clouds are on the horizon. And it results in destruction. And that's why the message of hope has to get out there the message of hope has to rise. And that's why we need a foundation of hope, a solid foundation of hope. Let's go back to Luke 24. The disciples are in despair, as we said. That same day, two of Jesus' disciples are following, walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things, it's getting good. It's, it's getting better for these guys, right? As they talked and discussed these things, they're in hopelessness, they're in despair, but it's just about to get better. Jesus, Jesus, the, guys, the guy who they thought was dead, read it, Jesus himself suddenly came. This is looking good, right? This is looking amazing. They're, they're into the surprise of a lifetime, Come on, read this as if you're reading it for the first time. It's looking good. It's a crescendo moment. Jesus is coming alongside them and it says he starts walking with them and boom, they recognize him and it's happening. No. Verse 16 says, God kept them from recognizing him. What? These guys are in absolute despair because Jesus has died and he's right there in their midst. And he comes alongside them. And this, he's the one person who can lift them out of their despair in this one moment. And the Bible says, God kept them from recognizing him. What? What? God blinded them from seeing Jesus? I don't know how it happened. I mean, I don't know whether Jesus suddenly became an X-Men and became mystique and just transfigured into something else or whether their eyes were blinded. I don't know how it happened, but it's outrageous. I remember going to a doctor a few years ago, and I was getting some tests done for something, and I was pretty worried about it. And I was sitting there in the waiting room, really, really nervous, actually, you know, probably overcome with a little despair, and the doctor comes in, and he, said, he calls my name out, and we start heading to the consultation room, and he sees me, like, in distress, and he says, Hey, man, we're not in the consultation room yet, but let me tell you, everything's okay. And I'm like, Phew. You'd expect that kind of thing here. Jesus just to appear and say, Guys, don't worry. Like, come on. Oh, I'm here. I'm, I'm not dead. I'm alive. But no. Why? Why? story would have ended right there they would have been happy you know they would have been like oh wow jesus come on celebrate good times come on would have been party time right jesus is alive would have been instantly resolved in a moment jesus could have done that he could have resolved it instantly and turned their despair into absolute elation but he decides not to And I think we know what happens in the story later on. Jesus does end up revealing himself. But for this time period where he remains hidden, I think he's trying to teach us some things. He's trying to teach us some things. Otherwise, he would have just revealed himself as soon as he met them. But he remained hidden because he's trying to give us some foundations. And we're going to go through those in a moment. But maybe you were thinking, maybe... We sometimes feel like that. That God can come and click his fingers and fix our situations and our despair. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He knows what I'm going through. He sees how much I'm hurting. He can come and fix it in an instant. Just like he could have come and fixed it for these disciples in an instant. But he decided not to. And we're going to find out why. There are three reasons why Jesus doesn't reveal himself to those disciples. The reasons We'll go get to them in a moment. Who's heard of NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art, a place in UNSW? Just hold that thought for a second. Let's go back to Luke chapter 24, verse 17 to 19. They were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you serious? You must be the only person who has not heard what's about what's happened in Jerusalem in the last three days. But what is going on here? Seriously. Jesus is playing dumb. Jesus, we've heard of Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, and we've heard of Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides but I'd never heard of Jehovah Nida, the God who acts. (laughs) And Jesus, it says later on in that same scripture that he's acting. He is acting. And the irony, the irony, he wrote the script. He's the main character. He's right there. And they're asking him, are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened? Sometimes, we get like that. We talk about it to our friends and sit there thinking everyone else has heard our cry except God. And we've cried out and cried out. But he hasn't heard us. But in reality, he's the one who's awful. And he's the one right there in the midst. Just like he was with these disciples right now. Three reasons. He asked them. What happened? He knows the answer, but why is he asking? What happened? And Cleopas starts responding, and I can only picture Jesus going, Oh, what whoa, that's heavy. What, what? wow, prophet. Man of God, uh, you did miracles. Oh, man, this, this really sucks. Um, you know, what a, what a terrible story. But Jesus just sits there and listens. Really, what happened? Tell me, tell me. I want to know in detail. I want to know everything that happened. Jesus is sitting there fishing, fishing for more information. He knows the whole thing, but he's sitting there going, come on. Come on, I want to know. I want to know your version. I want to know your version. I want to know what you see. I want to know what you see. Come on, I I want to hear your limited version. What Jesus does next is absolutely amazing. Luke 24, verse 25 to 27. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Do you not know that Christ had to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He takes their version. Give me a version. Give me a version. I want to know what you see. I want to know how hopeless it looks for you. Yeah, I'm hearing you out. But hang on a minute. Let me give you my version. Let me give you my version of events. Let me give you my version of events, Jesus says. And he's saying to them, Yeah, That's what it looks like to you, but don't you realize what's happened? Don't you realize what's happened? And he says this, he takes them through his version of events. What's his version of events? It goes a little something like this. There's a God who loves people, though they were created in his image and in the likeness of God, all had missed the mark and sinned. All had messed up. Let me continue with my version, Jesus says. There's a, there's a just God who you will find in the Old Testament and in the Scriptures and in Moses. There's a just God who demands justice because it's at the core of His character and His nature. And he can't turn a blind eye from sin and all the things we've messed up. But he says, there can be no other punishment than death. Come on, disciples, are you hearing my version here? And I'm telling you, this would have taken a while. Jesus is sitting there taking them through the scriptures. But he continues. And my version also says that this God, because he had no other motive than love, He takes on flesh. He lives a perfect, sinless life. And he says, I will take the punishment of my people because I love them. And he dies a sinner's death. And he redeems you and I. And he's raised to everlasting life. Come on, let's give God a hand here tonight. Because he's got a good version. His version's better than our version. His version was better than the disciples' version. And I don't know what version you're living in right now, but Jesus' version is better. And this version never changes. It's called the gospel. This version never changes. No matter what happens, but this version, the word of God will never pass away. First reason why he doesn't rock up and say, Hey, I'm alive. He wants to share the gospel. If he had rocked up and said, boom, look at me, what would have actually replaced their despair would be confusion. Because they'd be like, this doesn't even make sense. They did not understand the scriptures. It would have confused them. It would have baffled them. And they would have left happy. They would have left happy, but they would not have left joyful. Because inside, there, was, there were questions that didn't make sense. Why would he die and rise from the dead? No, no, no. Jesus is laying a foundation here. He's saying, you know, there's hope in the gospel. There's hope in the gospel. There's not hope in seeing me. There's, no, there's not hope in me appearing to you. There's not hope in me coming alongside you and walking with you in the flesh. There's hope in the gospel. In the gospel. He keeps them from recognizing him because he knows our hope is rooted in understanding his version and that's the gospel. And that's the first foundation he lays. That's the first reason for him remaining hidden, that he lays the foundation of the gospel. See, Cleopas had relied on what he was seeing or both those disciples, often as we do. People had told him Jesus was alive, but he didn't believe it. He tells Jesus, I'd hurt. You, you know, they're, they're saying angels were there and they said he's alive, but I'm out of here, man, I'm not believing that stuff. I'm, re- I'm relying on what I see. These things don't lie. I want to see what's going on. When our hope rests on only what we see, we set ourselves up for disappointment and despair. When we're only focused on what we see, we set ourselves up for hopelessness. We set ourselves up for hopelessness. Romans 8.24 says, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? If Jesus had rocked up and said, Booyah, here I am, they wouldn't be hoping for him. They'd be happy that he was there, but they wouldn't be hoping for him. If we place all our hope in what we see, we won't have hope. It's in the unseen. And that's why Jesus goes through the scriptures and explains it to them. That's the second foundation. He says to them, oh foolish ones, foolishness, the opposite of wisdom. He addresses them that way. He says, foolish ones, of." Oh, I've got to set another foundation here. I've got to set the second foundation. And I'm going to take you through the scriptures, not just so you can hear the gospel, because that's the first foundation, and that is critical, and that is what our hope is based on. That is absolutely the first layer. But there's a second layer of this foundation of hope. And he says, you foolish ones. Why does he say that? He's trying to show them that they're not being wise. Proverbs 24, verse 14 says, Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future. And your hope will not be cut off. What's God saying here? That there's a connection between wisdom and hope. And God doesn't want us to be foolish. He wants us to be wise. And that's why The second foundation, Jesus says, I'm going to take you through the scriptures. I'm going to tell you the gospel, foundation number one. But second foundation, I'm going to direct you to the scriptures. Because that's where wisdom is found. And wisdom is the second foundation that you can stand on. That when someone comes to you and says, I hope you're well, you say, thank you. I am because I'm standing on a foundation. And the first foundation is the gospel. And the second foundation is wisdom the knowledge and understanding of God and His Word. Right. Yeah. He remains hidden so we can impart wisdom. He wants them to get wise. He doesn't want to leave them stupid. He doesn't want to leave them foolish. He could have rocked up, said booyah, and left them foolish, but he refuses because he wants to get them wise. God isn't interested in your short-term comfort. And that instant momentary elation is interested in making us wise. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 to 4. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Whoa. Here we go again. Are you telling me that there's a connection between my hope and suffering? Is that, Jesus, is that the wisdom you're trying to show me here? That there's a connection between suffering and endurance and character. And at the end of all that, oh wow, that's where hope is. That's the foundation. See, Jesus isn't interested in just washing our, our suffering away. He can do that in a moment. But he's more interested in making us giving us endurance and us growing in endurance and working on your character, which often, let's face it, comes comes to the surface and works itself out in adversity. He doesn't reveal himself because the lesson is that this suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. That there's a connection between your suffering and hope. Jesus never said, you're going to live a perfect, rosy life. No, he promised us trouble. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But let me tell you something, he says. Tribulation, you should take joy in it, because it produces this thing called endurance. And endurance produces character. And then, character produces hope. And that's the wisdom Jesus is trying to teach us for that second foundation that's the wisdom that's the second foundation that wisdom that in suffering on the other side of that is hope how can you have endurance if there's nothing to endure hope is connected to our suffering to our endurance and to our character third reason so far we've heard the first reason the gospel he wanted to get the gospel out the second one wisdom he needs us to be wise he needs us to go into the scripture he points them to this and he says if you want hope if you want a foundation of hope something you can stand on you've got to go to this because in this, there's just story and story and story of person in despair and discouragement. But there's a, a loving, there's a faithful, there's an almighty God that comes through in the end. That comes through in the end. And you can have hope. He points them to this before he reveals himself. The third reason let's keep reading Luke chapter 24, verse 28 to 34. He says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of the journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on. He's still acting. It's Jehovah Nida. He's still doing his thing. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he we went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. What's the third lesson Jesus is teaching us? What he's saying is, "I, I didn't appear to you because I want a relationship with you. And I don't want that relationship to be based on You seeing me. I want it to be based on you inviting me into your place. Having me over for dinner. Spending time with me. Getting into the scriptures and getting to know me. And who I am. And who God is. See Jesus in this moment, the third reason. He's trying to move us from hoping for something. Hoping in someone. That's why he appears. That's why he drags it out. And at the end he appears. Because he wants you to to hope in him. Hope in him. Not hope for something. And the word goes out into the universe somewhere. But a hope that's grounded in the Saviour. Hope that's grounded in someone. In someone. I can have hope for you because I know Jesus. I can have hope for that situation you're going through because I'm not just hoping it works out for you, but I'm hoping in Jesus that it works out for you. Hoping in someone, not hoping for. That's the third foundation that Jesus lays for us. A foundation that's based on a relationship that says, and if I can ask the band to come, a relationship where you sit and he says it in the scriptures, you know, invite me in, and me and my father will make our home in you. That's what he wants. The third foundation that Jesus is trying to teach us through this is hoping in him. And a relationship with him. Not just hoping in him, but in a relationship. A relationship in him. Three things that give us a foundation of hope. That take us from that despair and that discouragement. That foundation, the first one, that's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, no matter what happens, God has redeemed me. That I am righteous in Christ. The second one, that, hey, I'm going to get wise. I'm going to get wise. And as I get wise, I get hopeful. Because as I get wise, I can deal with those tribulations. And as I get wise and deal with those tribulations, I'm going to develop endurance. And as I develop endurance, I'm going to develop character. And as I develop character, I'm going to develop hope. beautiful thing is I've got someone to hope in. I've got someone to hope in. Hope, hope means absolutely nothing unless you've got someone to hope in. It means absolutely nothing. You can wish someone all the hope you like, but unless it's grounded in a foundation, unless it's grounded in Jesus Christ, it means absolutely nothing. I was reading this John Paul Sartre it's not often that atheists are quoted from the pulpit but shortly before his death he said he so strongly resisted feelings of despair that he would try to convince himself by saying I know I shall die
1: then in profound
0: sadness he'd add but hope needs a foundation at the end of it all he's sitting there on his deathbed one of the most renowned atheists of history and he's hoping he can hope he's hoping he can hope but it hits him I can't just hope. I can't just hope. I can't hope in hope. I can't hope for hope. Hope, he realizes, needs a foundation. He needs a foundation. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes here tonight. I don't want to leave this meeting before I put an invitation out. this message has spoken to you tonight and you're saying I want to get my foundations right I want to get my foundations right and that gospel you just shared is amazing and my, I made right with God and yeah I want to grow in the knowledge and understanding of God or I want to speak to someone specific here tonight someone who says yeah I don't have that Jesus as a foundation for my hope because I don't know him and if that's you if if you're sitting here saying I don't have that foundation of hope because I've never invited Jesus into my heart before and I'm not in relationship with him in a moment I'm going to count to three and I'd love it if you could raise your hand and just give me a wave because I'd love to acknowledge you and pray with you tonight and together we can invite Jesus into your heart I'll invite you out the front and we'll pray the prayer together. But it's the most important thing you can do in this life. And get it right. You would set your feet on a solid foundation of Jesus. So if that's you, on the count of three, one, two, three. Come on, who is there tonight? Come on, maybe you're nervous tonight, but you know you've got to You know you've got to get right with God tonight. Come on, lift your hand up. We'll pray a prayer. You can get right with Him tonight. Thank you. I see your hand, friend. Is there anyone else here tonight? Come on, don't leave here without that foundation. Don't leave here without that foundation of hope. Awesome. Awesome. on, let's give God a hand here tonight. He's so good. He's so good. Hey, why don't we all stand? And I'm just going to invite my friend. I'd love to pray with you. So if I can just come and pray with you. What's your name? Muhammad, Muhammad nice to meet you. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear God in heaven, I thank you, you sent Jesus die on a cross for me. Wash me clean. Forgive me of my sins. I decide and declare tonight to follow you the rest of my days. Thank you, Jesus. You are a foundation of hope that I can stand on. comes alive in his world, God, in every area, in his finances, in his family. Thank you, God, you give him wisdom as he searches you out in this Come on, let's give God a hand here tonight. Yeah. Let me just pray before we wrap up. Father God, I thank you for your words. It's just such a solid foundation that we can stand on, God. And that no matter what your people are going through here tonight, God, they can stand on your gospel and your word, God. And no matter what comes, Father God, all will be well. Their soul will be well because they've got an anchor for it in you. And we give you glory and honour in this place tonight. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand here tonight. Awesome. Fantastic. What a great word. What an awesome word. And I'm sure the family over there would...